This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, for, for the scripture reading, uh, Matthew 22, uh, we'll, read, we'll start in verse 41 and we'll read uh, down through 46. <clears throat> Matthew 22, 41, we'll read through the end of the chapter, those, those five verses there. Would you stand? While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we again come before you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you this morning. and mercy, long-suffering, to reach down, save a people unto Yourself, not because we deserve it, but because You love, because You are love. Father, um, again, we ask as we consider this text before us this morning that You bring these truths home to our hearts. Lord, may we be affected Pray, Lord, that there's not a person in this room this morning that will leave here unaffected by the truth of Your Word. Not not because it's been preached well, but because it's the truth. Because it's Your inspired Word. And Lord, I pray that for all of us. Some, Some here maybe don't know You. Others of us here do. And yet, we need to be sanctified by Your truth just as others need to be saved by Your truth. We pray, Lord, and ask You to do it. Confess our dependence upon You. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, amen. He is Lord. Um, And that's what I want us to think about this morning as we look at this uh, text. As we've been saying all along, um, what Matthew is doing as he walks us through this account of the life of Jesus is revealing to us through his writing, of course, inspired writing, but through his writing, he's been revealing to us um, the truth about the identity of Jesus Christ. And that is all important. This question of who Christ is, um, is is the most important question you will ever face, right? And that's that's true of every single individual. Doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what ethnicity you belong to, 
what your cultural background is, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, who Jesus is. Who Jesus is matters more than anything else. Anything else. Well, one reason we point this out, and uh, one reason I think Jesus points this out in this text, is because there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misunderstanding about who He is, about what his, uh, his, his mission was about. In other words, there are a lot of inadequate views of Jesus. Now, in our text, we're told, first of all, in verse 41, and given a little uh, uh, element concerning the context, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. So there's a couple of things going on here that I, I want to mention. First of all, uh, while the Pharisees were gathered together, we're, we're in the same context we've been in for some time now. In fact, if you look back for just a moment to chapter 21, verse 18, uh, verse 17, rather, it says, He left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Verse 18, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And so, so this is, if you go back and read the chapter, verse, uh, chapter 21, this is uh, following Jesus going into the temple, driving out uh, the money changers and so forth. So it's the day after that, he says he comes back into the city. And then in verse 34, Just a few, few uh, in the same chapter here. I'll find my reference real quick. He is confronted by the Pharisees. In verse, uh, I apologize for that, verse 23. I'm still in chapter 1. When he came to the temple, the chief priests, the elders of the people... The chief priests, the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. Okay, he's teaching in the temple. He's confronted here by the chief priests and the elders. And then if you jump down to verse 45, now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. So he's talking to the chief priests and the elders. Then in chapter 22, as we saw last week, he is confronted by the Sadducees. Um, and this is uh, incidentally where he gives... Uh, the parable of the king who arranged the marriage for his son. All of this is, is the same, same event. So while he has them gathered, he has silenced uh, the, chief el- the chief priests and the elders. He has silenced the Sadducees. Uh, verse uh, 23 and on where they came to him, chapter 22, 23. Um, verse 34, chapter 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered. So they're gathered to him once again. All of this being the same context, while they are gathered, Jesus asks them. Now, here's where the the tables turn. Because he's being confronted by all these religious leaders and he's being bombarded with questions in in an effort to trap him. And now he turns... The tables on them. They they have been unable to present him with a question, with a situation, a scenario that he could not answer. They've been able, unable to trip him up in his words. They tried to set him up against Caesar. <laughs> Didn't work, did it? They tried to set him up against Moses. 
Didn't work, did it? The Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection said, you know, Moses, he gives us the, the, uh, the law of, of leveret marriage. And um, so they come up with this little hypothetical scenario. You've got seven brothers who take the same woman. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Well, he had an answer. It didn't work. Talked about that last week. Now he gives them a question, which, as you will see, they're unable to answer. While they are gathered together, verse 41, Jesus asked them, verse 42. Here are the questions, and it's actually more than one, but uh, for starters, verse 42, he asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Now, that's, that's kind of the, the, the primary thing I want us thinking on this morning. What do you think about the Christ? There's, there's one little nuance here. When we think of the Christ, who do we think of? Jesus. We have that truth. We, we've been taught that. Um, you may or may not embrace it in reality. I, I was taught that all my life. Uh, but looking back now... I understand there was, there was a time, though, though I had that intellectually, I wasn't really embracing that truth. I wasn't living submitted to the Lordship of Christ. I was living in rebellion against Him. But, more than likely, if you were raised in this country, or at least, let's say, in the Bible Belt, you associate that word, the Christ, with Jesus. In fact, a lot of people think it's his last name, you know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's not the case. It's the title. The Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. For centuries now, the Jewish people have awaited the arrival of the Coming One. The Anointed One, the Messiah, the Deliverer, one who would be raised up like Moses in that the people would hearken to His voice. They would, they would do what He said do. The great prophet. So, I point that out because I want you to see that the people that he is addressing here, they don't associate the title, the Christ, with Jesus. In fact, this is exactly what they're trying not to do. One reason they're attacking him is because they understand that he's claiming to be the Christ. And they're rejecting that. So Jesus confronts them with a question about the Christ. What they understand about the Christ. What do you think about the Christ? And it reminds me of uh, his question concerning himself in Matthew 16 that we dealt with. He, said, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I, I am? Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they came back with different, different answers. Yes, some, you're, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're like one of the prophets. All kinds of opinions out there. And Jesus addressed the question directly to them and said, Well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do you think about the Christ? Now, he's not looking for approval there. He's, he's, he's not asking, what, what kind of job do you think I'm doing? What do you think 
about the Christ. You know, I may ask, I probably won't, but I mean, I could. I could ask when I get down from here today, what did you think about the sermon? I mean, did I do okay? How was it? That's not what Jesus is doing. He wants to know. I mean, he's doing what he always does, targeting their heart, wanting them to know what they actually believe about him. Who do you really think he is? What do you think about the Christ? Now, this is not the end of Jesus' question here. He says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, this is one of those questions. It's almost what would be considered, a, in this culture anyway, a dumb question. Because, I mean, you, you can figure out right away where he's going with that. What, what, whose, son, whose son is he? Well, he's the son of Abraham, for one thing. He's the son of David. I mean, that, that's a common title for the Christ. That's why I say it would almost be considered a dumb question. An easy question. No-brainer, we would say. Right? Who's the Christ? Well, He's the son of David. The, the promises are to the seed of David. The promises of, rain, of the reign are E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N, are to David's seed. Not fulfilled, incidentally, uh, in Solomon. And so they still look for one to come who would sit on the throne of David, who would rule over the kingdom of Israel, the son of David. And we've seen this, haven't we? I mean, we know this is a common way of referring to the Christ because Matthew has used it repeatedly in the different accounts that he offers. At least two sets of blind men that cry out for help to Jesus refer to Him as the Son of David. Remember that? Son of David, have mercy on me. And we've seen that on several occasions. People crying out in need. They would uh, acknowledge their or, or make their own confession concerning what they believed about Him by referring to Him as the Son of David. It's a way of confessing, I believe this is the Christ. Remember Bartimaeus? He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and boy, he cried out, Son of David, Son of David. It's a way of confessing. I believe you're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're where my help is. Have mercy on me. And then we saw just recently when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem, what we call the triumphant entry, the crowd cheering, chanting. Son of David, right? Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the Son of David. What, who, who do you think? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? It's a no-brainer. So they said to him, the Son of David. By the way, I, I thought... Uh, I, there's no way of proving this out, but I thought... John MacArthur made an interesting point. I was looking at his commentary. Up, up until 70 A.D., um, records were kept in the temple so that uh, you, you would know from where you descended, what tribe you belonged to. And that kind of thing had to be done uh, 
for example, so that you had the, uh, the proper uh, men serving in the priesthood. You had to know that they were Levites. For the high priest, you had to know that they were descendants of Aaron. Well, MacArthur's point was that Jesus' claim to be a descendant of David would be easily verifiable. And what MacArthur was suggesting, and this makes sense to me, it's, again, it's nothing we can prove, but um, he was suggesting that these men who, who vehemently opposed Jesus more than likely had done the research. Because that would have been an easy way, wouldn't it, to discredit him. We've checked the records, and you're not even a descendant of David. So you're disqualified. You can't be the Christ. So just probably they had done that and found that he was, in fact, a descendant of David. So they didn't have that argument. So right about now, they're probably thinking, okay, we know where he's going. Whose son is he? Well, he's the son of David. And now he's going to say, and you know, and I'm a son of David, and therefore I'm the Christ. And that's probably where he's going with this. But they can't, they can't say anything different. They know this is the correct answer. So they, they reply, the son of David. Whose son is he? He's the son of David. He, he has to be the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, must be of the lineage of David. He, he's going to inherit David's throne. He's going to rule over Israel. In fact, even sometimes he's referred to in prophecy uh, as David. Just, uh, the name is just applied to him. Well, then Jesus raises a second question here that I'm not sure they've considered before. This kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, doesn't it? Where uh, he tells them um, back in verse 29 concerning their, their thoughts on the resurrection, concerning their uh, misconceptions there. He says, you are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, he's, here Jesus is going to bring uh, the Scripture into this, again, in, in, in a way of saying, haven't you ever read this? <laughs> Don't you know the Scripture? He raises this question. He does it this way. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? Well, they, they reply, the son of David. And He said to them, verse 43, how then does David, in the Spirit, call him Lord? Now, the reason that wouldn't make sense is because when you refer to somebody as Lord, by implication there, the one that's being called Lord is superior to the speaker. Or else, I mean, you wouldn't call him Lord unless you were inferior to Him. That's what Jesus is saying. If, if David is His son, which would essentially mean he's, should mean, at least the way, you know, conventional wisdom, it would mean He's inferior. His son's inferior. If, David, if, if, if the Messiah is the son of David, if David is His father, then how does He then call Him Lord? And he references the passage we read earlier, Psalm 110, verse 1, 
which, by the way, is identified as a psalm of David. Some have disputed that, but the Lord, uh, the Lord attributes it here to David. I, I take the Lord's word. <laughs> it's, a, it's a psalm of David. Jesus makes that clear because he's saying David was speaking this. Verse 44. Here's what David said. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, that, that first word, Lord, the Hebrew word Yahweh, it's, it's, if you notice, probably in your translation like mine, it's translated with all capitals, uh, a big letter L and small capitals uh, O-R-D. When you see that in the Old Testament, uh, or in, in this case here, but all, in the Old, throughout the Old Testament, when you see that, behind that is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the, the proper name for the God of Israel, His covenant name. In other words, it's not a generic term um, like, like our word G-O-D. We use that same word, don't we, when, when we refer to the living God, except we usually capitalize it. But we use the same word when we refer to false gods. It's a generic term. This term's not generic. This, this is the term that God identified Himself with when He called Moses to go deliver the children of Israel. And Moses said, you know, they're going to ask me who's, who sent you. Who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord said, I am. I, I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. Yahweh. So the Lord, the living God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh said to my Lord. Now, this is David speaking in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. Now, the second word is a, a common term, Adonai which is used in reference uh, uh, to the true God often, but it's also more of a generic term. Uh, like uh, our term L-O-R-D, we don't, we don't use it this way, but um, the English, you know, use it almost like we would use sir, right? Lord so-and-so. So it's a, a term of honor. That's similar to this word Adonai, but it still implies... Superiority. Again, you think of England, you know, the House of Lords. You've got a group superior to the commoners. So, David is speaking and he says, To the Lord, or he says rather, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, the question is, who's the my Lord? Now, first of all, I said, Jesus assumes that this is... uh, uh, Psalm is penned by David. David's the author of it. And he assumes that that is basically universally recognized. They, they understand that. The reason he's using this argument is because uh, the, the Pharisees that he's confronting here agree that this is a psalm of David and that it is a reference to the Messiah. You notice they don't dispute that. Jesus uses the passage as a reference to the Christ what do you think about the Christ? And then he goes to this passage, Psalm 110.1, to learn something about the Christ. 
And they don't dispute that. They don't say, well, 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 that's not talking about the Christ. That's written by somebody else talking about David. The Lord said to my Lord, David. They don't say all that. They accept the fact that it's a Psalm of David. They accept the fact that it's Scripture. And they accept the fact that this is a reference to the Messiah. The Lord, Yahweh, said to the Messiah, said to my Lord, Adonai, a reference to the Messiah. So David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, here's the question Jesus is asking. Who is David calling Lord? With that second term. Okay, well, again, that's, that's a no-brainer. He's talking about the Messiah. Everybody agrees there. They agree with that. Jesus agrees with that. But he's referring to him as an inferior, referring to a superior. Now, think for a moment. This is David, the greatest king in Israel's history. People were incensed, and I think rightfully so. And this is not a personal slam. Don't take it that way. I'm just just using it as as an example. But when our president bowed to the king of Saudi... Arabia. That was disturbing. Why is that disturbing? I mean, it's just etiquette, right? You go before the king and you and you back. Well, maybe for somebody else, but not for the president of the United States, because that's a sign of inferiority. And believe me, in the Muslim world, it has significance. So this is, this is not a small thing for David, the greatest king in Israel's history, to refer to someone else as Lord. Someone other than Yahweh, right? Of course he would refer to the living God as Lord. But that's clearly not who he's talking about here because that Yahweh is the first term. The Lord said to my Lord. Now here's where it gets complicated because... If Messiah is the son of David, and yet David is calling him Lord, that that doesn't make sense in their thinking. I mean, a father would not refer to a son or a descendant as a superior. It would be the other way around. So, here again is the passage, Psalm 110.1, verse 44 here, written by David. The Lord, under the inspiration of the Spirit, by the way, Jesus makes that clear as well. He he believes in the inspiration of Scripture. (laughs) I think we can take his word for that, okay? He's David in spirit, Jesus says, says this. In other words, this didn't just come out of David's head. This is David writing pinning this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's the same phrase in spirit that John uses in Revelation when he says, I was in spirit on the Lord's day. He was possessed, if you will, by God. Controlled. Let's say it that way. He was controlled by God. So David, controlled by God, writes, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies 
your footstool. Now, that's clearly talking about the Messiah. Sit at my right hand, shall I make your enemies your footstool? Yahweh is saying to the Messiah, David's Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, here comes the next question. Jesus says, if David then calls him Lord. And again, everybody is in agreement with that. David clearly calls him Lord. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Well, because again, culturally, that, that doesn't make sense in their mindset. What's the point of all of this? Well, again, as I said earlier, this is another way of Jesus saying, you are mistaken because you don't know the Scripture. Again, an astounding statement by the Lord when you consider who He's talking to. Pharisees, lawyers, chief priests, elders, Sadducees. You don't know the Scriptures. You don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, it's, it's an indictment. You don't know the Scriptures. You don't know the Scripture nor the power of God. You don't even understand this passage. And as I said earlier, it seems to me that they have probably never even considered this problem before. Uh, they, they seem to be completely taken off guard here. Is Jesus saying that Messiah is not the son of David? I mean, is that His point? You're, you're mistaken about Him being the son of David because why would He call Him Lord if He was the son? He's not, no, He's not saying that. He is the son of David. Messiah, they're correct in that. This gets back to what we were mentioning in the beginning. Inadequate views of Jesus. It's, it's possible to know truth about Jesus and be right. It's possible to be correct about certain things about Jesus, about religion, true religion, God, God's ways, salvation, God's salvation plan. It's, it's possible to be correct about certain things and yet not have the full picture. Now, I'm not saying that we any of us know it all, but, I, but I'm just I'm talking about fundamentals here. We, we have to know the reality of who Jesus is. I mean, really understand who He is based on who He has revealed Himself to be. So it's, it's, not, it's not good enough to have a, a, a partially correct view. Say good things about Jesus. Acknowledge good things about Him. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? Son of David. Is that it? Well, in their mind, pretty much. He's a man. He's the son of David. He's a descendant of David. And He's going to be a great king. 
but just a man. Just a man. That's, that's an inadequate view. I, I'm going to read real quick just a couple of references that uh, <coughs> MacArthur makes to uh, different opinions about Jesus. And I'm not going to read them all. There, there are many here, but uh, just a couple to show that um, it's true that pe- even in our day, you know, you may think this sounds a little odd, even in our day, people often speak well of Jesus. Famous poet Ralph Waldo Emerson held Jesus to be the most perfect of all men who have ever appeared on earth. That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> Napoleon said, quote, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ was not a man. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I, I have that whole quote, and, and it's amazing. And what's even more amazing than that is I'm not sure he knew really <laughs> who Jesus was. English philosopher and economist John Stuart Mill said Jesus was, quote, the pattern of perfection for humanity. German theologian and philosopher David Strauss, a staunch critic of biblical Christianity, notice that. And we're not talking about, uh, you know, really Christians here, saved people. But a, a, a staunch critic of biblical Christianity said Jesus is the highest model of religion within the reach of human thought. English novelist H.G. Wells wrote, quote, When I was asked which single individual has left the most permanent impression on the world, the manner of the questioner almost carried the implication that it was Jesus of Nazareth. I agreed. Jesus stands first, unquote. Those are pretty lofty opinions of Jesus, aren't they? And you hear people say those kinds of things. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He knew how to influence people. His, his morals are, are unparalleled. You know, people sing the praises of the Sermon on the Mount and the Golden Rule. And they love John 8 where the woman's caught in adulteress and brought to him and Jesus says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Everybody walks away and Jesus says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? There's none, there's none left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And people think, what, what a man. What an example. What a teacher of morality. What a religious leader. Well, we have to confess, those are lofty opinions, but they're inadequate. They're inadequate. Just like the opinion of the Pharisees here. What do you say about the Christ? What do, you, what do you think? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Oh, he's the son of David. I mean, that, that's no small thing. And they don't just mean any son of David. They mean he's the one God has designated to take the throne of David and to reign over God's people. 
That's a lofty opinion. We believe He's the Son of David. And they're correct. They're correct. And yet, that's an inadequate view. Because there's more to it. Look at that verse. The Lord said unto my Lord, referring to the Christ, David's Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In fact, let's just go quickly back to Psalm 110 for a moment. And look at what this says about the Lord, the Christ. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, Jerusalem. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Well, that's not... One more reason this is not referring to a mere man. That, that's not referring to just any king. Kings don't rule in the midst of their enemies, usually. I mean, they, they conquer them. They annihilate them. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. That was one of the things that astounded Napoleon, by the way. <laughs> Napoleon knew how, to, knew how to get men to do what he wanted them to do. He didn't know how to get them to do it willingly. And he was at least seen to be just awestruck by that. That Jesus could get people to do what He wanted to do willingly. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have to do of your youth. The Lord, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, we could say a lot about that, and we did when we went through Hebrews. But two offices are joined in this person. Not, not just king, but king and priest. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, He shall lift up the head. It's talking about an ultimate king here who sits at the right hand of God. Yahweh said to Adonai, my Lord, David said, sit at my right hand. So he's the very personification of the power of God. He rules in an ultimate sense. And we know that to be the case, don't we? He, he came and He suffered. He, he died. He was resurrected and He ascended and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Right? This is a reference to the Messiah. And He's not merely a man. He is a man. It is correct that He's the Son of David. Or the Son of Man. Another phrase commonly used in reference to the Messiah. 
That is correct. But by itself, it's inadequate. He's not just the Son of David. He's also Son of God. Son of God. Oh, one of the reasons they, they, they murdered Jesus is because He makes Himself equal with God. He called Himself God's Son, making Himself equal with God. What do you think? What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Or we could, with the knowledge that we have, we could, let's just bring it up to our day. What do you think about Jesus? He's a great teacher. He's a great man. He was a great religious leader. Nobody's had an impact on the world like Jesus has. And that's all true. But do you know that He's also Son of God? In other words, He's King of Kings. He's not a King. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's not a light. He's the light. He's not a way. He's the way. He's not a man, as we talked about in Sunday school. He's the man. One mediator between God and man. The man. Jesus Christ. (laughs) The God-man. Because He's not only a man. He's not only the Son of David. He's the Son of God. Now, is that how you think about Jesus? That He's the ultimate ruler? That we're all going to stand before Him one day in judgment? Do you, do you get up and function every day in submission to Jesus Christ? There's, there's an easy way to figure that out, really. Just... Moment to moment, circumstance to circumstance. Ask yourself, who's in charge? Who's who's in charge at this moment? When you're when you're tempted to sin, and we all do. I'm not saying we can walk in sinless perfection, but when you're tempted to sin, ask yourself, who's king? Who's wearing the crown? Who's in charge here? Am I? Am I indeed the captain of my own soul? Or is somebody in authority over me? Do we merely draw near Him with our lips or is our heart close to Him? Are we in submission to Him? Do we walk and live in submission to Jesus as Lord? What do you think? What do you think about Jesus? Whose son is He? Whose son is he? If he's merely the son of David, and you're, and you're in my wife's situation, my wife half Jewish, so you may you may owe some homage to him. <laughs> On the other hand, if he's not only the son of David, but he's also the son of God. then He deserves the devotion, the adoration of every single person there is.
He's the God-man. He's God in flesh. The King. The Messiah. He did what they could not do. He gave them something they couldn't answer. Verse 46, No one was able to answer Him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare ask Him any more. Ask, did anyone dare question Him anymore? That would be a good ending if it was because they just submitted to Him and said, Look, you know, I give up. <laughs> I get, so like, like Paul, Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? That's the correct response. But in their case, that wasn't it. They, they gave up all right, but then they set out to kill Him. But what about you? What do you think? What about me? What do you think about Jesus? Whose son is he? Was he just a man? Even a superman? Or is he who he says he is? Jesus said, you're mistaken because you don't know the Scriptures. They, they didn't really know the Scriptures and therefore they didn't recognize him for who he was. He tells us who he is. tells us who He is in the pages of Scripture. So we, our, our, our responsibility is to do what they didn't do. Take His testimony. Amen? <laughs> Let's stand, please. We're just going to close <clears throat> with a word of prayer. and Lord willing, we'll see you, uh, see you tonight. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.